Welcome to the Chicago Bears Podcast. A presentation of ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Here's your host, Pat the Designer. Bear Down Bears fans, it's finally here. We're talking to coaches, we're talking to GMs, we're having players sit at the podium and make, I'm not going to lie, DJ Moore is now my favorite player just because he spent the entire press conferences with the, come on dog, you know we can't answer that face the entire time. So I'm excited. We got Courtney Cronin in the building. She was literally asking some of the questions in there. By the way, you, you and her top two questions Thank you. Anytime y'all are sitting in the building. Herb is so good. Like, I've told him that before. And I'm like, I'm not gassing you up. I think you are, like, tremendous in your delivery because the way that he phrases things, just, like, I'm like, God damn, that's a good question. Like, he's really, really good at his job. He'll ask the question in a way that's like, I understand you probably can't tell me this, but I just want you to tell me this anyway. So you might as well. And then it it feels like like Ryan Poles and, and Flus were like, Okay, I'm obligated to answer this question now a little bit. But uh, we got so much to get into on today's pod. DJ Moore, Justin Fields talk, Tremaine Edmonds, Poles and Flus, both talking at the podium. Hit that like button, subscribe to the page. Chicago Bears podcast, we're jumping straight into this thing. Courtney, I mean, we had a lot of nuggets come out of this press Mm -hmm. conference. We were just talking about this. Um, What do you think was the one thing from Ryan Poles and... uh, uh, Matt Eberflus that probably was the biggest nugget that we took away because I thought the edge rusher conversation was really, really interesting because that's been our biggest question. Yeah. And that's where I think like all conversations at this point of July, this point of the off season, that's where they start because for months we had been told from the team itself. I mean, I think that it was Ryan Poles who came on with Black and Abdallah and had pointed to, you know, the the fact that they were close to signing an edge rusher during the offseason, that what they had, at least from what they were saying publicly, they believe that it was a good group, but it wasn't enough. And I mean, I think that even if you look at it realistically, if you're not just trying to hype up your own guys and the belief that you have in your process, you know that there's work to be done. But the comments from polls today that I thought were kind of interesting surrounding the edge rusher position were that, you know, it's not a certainty that they sign somebody. And again, it is July 25th. There's a long time to go between now and week one. But I... They're going to keep attempting to do it. What I took away is that the price out there on some of the guys, whether it's a Jadavian Clowney, Nick Ngakwe, Justin Houston, what you know, the the defensive linemen that remain free agents, feels at this point like the price is too high for the the Bears to be willing to pay, and that you know, oftentimes when guys are waiting out there at the eleventh hour of training camp, you're going to end up seeing contenders, somebody who feels like, hey, we are an edge rusher away because we are so stacked up front. We need more depth, all those things, whether it's like the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think they did that last year with Sue uh, when they got in Zamaka. It was in Zamaka and Sue, I think, like, yeah. right, you know, at some point that was like either the deadline. It was it was in the midway point of the season. They're like, okay, yeah, we could use some depth there. Like we're already no. really good, but like we can use some depth. And so I looked at kind of like his, you know, his process, at least the one that Ryan Poles has gone through. And I'm trying to find the quote because we know that like there's an opportunity to add. We just don't know how how willing are they to not deviate course from what they're doing right now, but wanting to 
add a player that might be a little out of their price range or, you know, put them in a situation where it's, you know, kind of a short term rental, if you want to use that. And so I, I got it. I got kind of the vibe from him that like, he's not opposed to going, I don't want to say all in, but he's not opposed to paying for an expensive player. Like this is a roster that is filled with a lot of young talent. A lot of players are trying to develop, but that doesn't preclude them from potentially going out and getting somebody who might be of, you know, might be looking to play on a contender, might not have those offers, but you know, if the, if, if the offer came up for the bears, it's not something that they would shut down if that makes sense. So like, Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, what Paul said is that if there's a scenario that pops up right now, he wouldn't hesitate from adding a player if it made sense. So, you know, that's basically like committing to an older player to try to, you know, Im- you know, win this year with doesn't mean that it's going to like change the overall outcome of what the season is, but that option's still out there. They've just gone very slow about this process. And I, and I think reading between the lines here, it's because of the cost that comes down to what these remaining edge rushers are trying to make. But you'd like to think that leverage wise, if they don't get signed, if they end up staying out there in free agency, that the price will maybe come down. Is there, is there any issue with possibly like a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, whatever that is, where we heard polls talk about the word that is very taboo around Chicago, especially with Bulls fans, continuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like he doesn't want to go out and get, maybe not that he's not willing to go out and do it if the team's in the right position, but for the long term, he's not looking to just go out and get those one-year guys, those quick contracts, maybe even a guy that you take a flyer on, something like that but he kind of does want to build with that younger core that's going to be here for a while that can grow around Justin, can grow around Tremaine. Is that maybe what's also a little bit of the holdup in this situation as well? Potentially. And that the thing is you have a young core players that you expect to be here for, you know, the next four or five years at most, or at least at best, because that's typically the cycle. I mean, we don't know about Justin Fields beyond this season. I mean, if it lined up perfectly, it'd be, Hey, all of these guys are growing around the quarterback, even guys on defense too. And they're all in the same timeline. Justin Fields is 24 years old. DJ Moore, I believe is 26. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds, 26 years old. TJ Edwards, still a young player. And in theory, it'd be great if you get everybody on the same timeline, then you all grow in the same direction, but that's not realistic because even I was just taking a look at like the contracts that they have on the roster right now. I mean, Equinemia St. Brown is here on a one-year deal. Dante Pettis is here on a one-year deal. Yeah. Uh, Robert Tunyon is a free agent after this season. And then you go over to like the defensive side of the ball. Um, Justin Jones is gone after the season. Andrew Billings, who they just signed, is up after this season. So they still have players under contract that are not, you know, they could be here for a season they could end up playing their way into a into a contract we'll see if that works but i don't i don't think that can be the only way that you build a roster i think that that's that's in it's wishful thinking that you can do it that you would a have the time and b have the leash to be able to to go a hundred percent about it your way you have to field a a competitive football team though and that's where and I, I tell people this: like, it's not giving up on what their process is. If they went out and signed a unique Ngakwe or signed yeah. somebody who has experience as an edge rusher and can help boost this defensive line and its production in rushing the quarterback, because that's something that they needed last year that they just didn't have. 
And it doesn't mean that you're like giving up on their long-term goal. It's just plugging a position of need with somebody who is more talented than what you have currently on the roster and potentially what else is out there in free agency. I think that it's, a, it's not short-sighted to think that they go about it, but I, I am curious, like what, you know, if the asking price is too high, what is it going to come down to for the bears in order for them to pull the trigger on a move like that in the next five, six weeks? Yeah, you heard, you know, Ryan talk in the press conference about what uh, Walker could bring, how Robinson has improved, but it sounds not very, enough. It's it, not enough. It sounds very much like what we heard last season when he was like, yeah, you know, we feel good about the wide receiver room. The guys we brought in are going to compete. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the vibe I'm getting from it, where he knows that there needs to be something addressed, but mm-hmm. he also knows that. If I go too if I go too far into it, it's going to cost us things in the future. If we if we commit draft capital by trading somebody, or we or we you know give big money to a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, who listen, he's been great, he's been amazing, but he's heading towards that number that I think in the NFL most people find as taboo of thirty. Mm-hmm. You don't want to pay guys long term a lot of times after that. So it, it feels like Ryan is very much just like. I'll try. If it doesn't work, I'll fall back on the process. Yeah. And that's like, I don't know what more he could potentially do, like more and more he can say other yeah. than that, because you're not going to force it. You're not just going to sign somebody to sign somebody. And that's that's kind of what he's been emphasizing with us for a long time. And you can go back to the f- day that we did the free agency press conference and he had mentioned that there's still going to be holes on this roster. Looking at it through a realistic lens and not having to handicap yourself to the idea that like, Hey, I've got to get everything fixed and nobody expects them to, but like you do expect major voids to be dealt with. Otherwise you are probably going to be in the same situation that you were in last year where the back end of your defense is having to compensate for what lacks up front, which was getting pressure on the quarterback. We like, you know, I, it dawned on me in the middle of talking with Eddie Jackson that we hadn't heard from him about Jaquan Brisker setting the, uh, you know, being the leading leader, sack. leading sack yeah. leader last year. And of course, I mean, that's something that, you know, Brisker will do whatever. I mean, he's, he's a football guy through and through. He'll play whatever position, whether it's up in the box, whether it's back deep, he'll, he'll what, what did he say? He said he was like dove soap. Use me. I, yeah, was, like, I was like, are we calling him? Are we calling him dove Brisker from the year on out? Like, yeah. I thought that was a, that was such a clever line. I hope that he gets a good endorsement deal from that, but it's, um, you know, even players realize that like, and like, that's the thing that I hope like, you know, we end up kind of finding out some answers on soon, whether can the adjustments that they've made is what they have right now with the stuff from free agency, from the draft, is it enough to make it look like a better product, especially in the defensive side of the ball? Cause we know offense is where they've gone all in, yeah. but is it enough to, be even marginally better than they were last season because last, last season you you can't re- replicate last season you can't have two years in a row where you finish with the second like worst pressure rate in the NFL and like yeah. the second fewest sacks you just from a defensive line you can't do that and yeah. um it's not necessarily foregoing your philosophy of how you want to build this team to try to improve that in the short term because those short term improvements can help the other guys that you expect to be here for a long term, um, like, you know, longer period of time. It can help set them up for having a good season in 2023 to then build on next year when you might be able to draft somebody or bring somebody in free agency. Now, all Bears fans were perplexed over the last couple of days because of the randomness of Chase Claypool 
being put on the pup list and then immediately taken off. And we really didn't get an answer why. I, that's really what I was looking for. Like, why they you could have just not put him on the pup and waited a day. But I did think that we got a very interesting nugget out of this when Justin Fields was talking about why mm-hmm. Chase Claypool came back a little gimpy. I, I don't know if he was supposed to say this. Somebody probably got in his ear immediately after he left. But he said, you know, he had an issue with his knee while he was down there working out on the last uh, day is is this something that Bears fans should be concerned about here with the injuries that Claypool has already racked up here in Chicago? Yeah, so we're supposed to hear from Claypool tomorrow, which will be good just to get those questions out because I he did not talk after the final game of the season. He did not talk at Locker Cleanout Day. The last time we would have talked to him, I'm trying to think, um, definitely wasn't Detroit. Definitely not after that game. We had a meltdown <laughs> on the sideline. That was. It's been months since yeah. we've heard from him. Yeah, and. I I tend to think that the issue Fields brought up is separate from what held him out during the preseason because or during like you know OTAs and minicamp. We saw yeah. him the first week of OTAs, did not see him since. Eberflus was very um, you know vague about it, like you know some soft tissue things that are, that popped up, and he said a couple different things or a few I, different. I things. love Flus. He's he's a hockey coach at heart. He's like he's got a body. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you got a body. Upper body, lower body. That's what the <laughs> NFL like wishes it could like turn to as far as injury designations. But when Fields said, because I asked him, how much work are you actually able to get done with him this offseason? Because we know he wasn't playing, you know, practicing here. He said before they went to Florida, they did some throwing sessions here, meaning yeah. I believe like Lake Forest, Illinois, somewhere. And then they go to Florida. He's part of it. You saw some of the social media videos that were posted. And then it sounds like from Fields' account that there was some sort of issue with Claypool's knee that kind of slowed him down a little bit. Then Sunday comes, they put him on the pop list, and then Monday evening they take him off, which um, according to polls, he just needed an extra day or two to get with the training staff. And and I'm not entirely sure what the rule is because he reported, I would have assumed, that on Sunday because probably quarterbacks and receivers all getting here, like the way that other camps – other camps do it and then of course today is when all the vets everybody remaining comes on on tuesday the 25th so i'm wondering if it was just hey he went through his physical and they determined in that moment he wasn't ready to practice yet and then they quickly the next day who knows maybe it was inflammation maybe he just woke up and his knee felt so much better maybe there was something that they saw in an mri they're like oh no you'll be okay you can practice through this it's not maybe as bad as they would have thought there is a lot of ambiguity about it but it is you know, it is strange when you see someone put on pop and then like for actual physical reasons and then taken off that quickly. We remember last year starting training camp with Roquan Smith on pop and that had nothing to do with anything <laughs> physical that was limiting him. Maybe, maybe, um, you know, some hurt feelings were, uh, you know, what put him on ice for a couple of weeks, but it's Courtney with the shots here. I it's, like just, it. it's just, def- it's just, it's just different because you don't see somebody usually come off because physically unable to perform. I mean, you know, towards the end of the year, if you start on or end of training camp, if you start on pup, then you yeah. end up on, you know, it's like this for you have to sit out the first six weeks training camp pup though. You can go on and you can go come off of it much. There's less restrictions on yeah. it. So that's probably why they were able just to utilize it to get it out of the way. But I would think, you know, the not saying it incites panic, but like, I would think that the team probably should have like at least consulted and just said like, Hey, this is not, you know, whether you want to leak it, whether you want to put it out to the local beat people who are here every day, who are getting these questions. Like it's not, 
a big concern because it did feel somewhat concerning when you see it initially after not having seen him in OTAs and minicamp except for that first week. Yeah, it, it, the the funniest part was all the Bears fans in the comments. There was one of two sides. Uh, there was either you guys are worried about nothing. It's fine. Like it's pup. So don't worry about it, which is not the case because pup is usually a serious thing, apparently, except when the Bears use it. And then there was the other side that was like, I told you this guy was terrible. He's a bust. He's <laughs> yeah. never been good at football. It's like, oh, OK. He's it definitely tomorrow. incited panic among some people of like <laughs> everything's falling apart. Yeah. You know, the told you so mentality. I will be curious to see what his ramp up period looks like, because according to Ryan Poles, everyone that showed up to report and all of that has is cleared to go. So that means the people that we haven't seen in a while. That means yep. Chase Claypool, Darnell Mooney. That would fulfill the timeline that Matt Eberflus gave us that they will be ready to go by training camp. Uh, Jack Sanborn. We haven't seen him in since the ankle injury against the against the Philadelphia Eagles. So the fact that he is not seemingly having any restrictions on him, maybe that leads you to believe that like shows you why they ended up making the uh, roster move today to release Sterling Weatherford. They brought in a different linebacker. Maybe they feel that like this will be a good, you know, good group with Sanborn back in the fold, but health wise, considering they didn't have like a ton of players. I wouldn't say it's like more than most teams that weren't practicing during the spring, but it felt like minor issues that, Never felt like it was anything outside of like the season ending surgery that Mooney was recovering from. And, you know, what, what are the ankle injury that Sanborn is going through? Like Eddie Jackson returned before the end of OTAs and minicamp. It felt like, frankly, their injury luck was pretty good and that they're going into the, you know, first part of training camp relatively healthy. And we know that those things don't always pan out. Um, I can think back to last year when Lucas Patrick got hurt, like on the first or second day of camp, you expect those things to happen, but at least you're not starting like behind the eight ball in terms of injuries this year. Uh, We heard, you know, from Justin Fields, from DJ Moore, kind of about the relationship that they're building up and how, you know, they expect to come into the season. They talked about, we got to work on a a little bit of math help guys. 17, you can't be 500. First off, it's it's literally, unless you tie, if you tie, if they tie, I'm going to be pissed. I guess like early on, they could technically be 500 (laughs) at some point. Like if you're one and one or, you know, you can't finish with a record at 500, but they talked about, you know, trying to be 500 and then you heard Justin go or better, you know, Mm -hmm. but, does it feel like kind of the expectation for this team is to just be a middling football team from how you kind of heard from these guys? Or does it, I mean, from Eddie Jackson, Eddie Jackson said he's going to have the best safety season ever and he's going to manifest it. Tremaine Edmonds is excited about this year. It feels like these guys are excited just to say he's a 4,000 yard passer. These aren't 500 aspirations. Mm -hmm. And nobody's going to come in and realistically say, on July 25th, we're striving for mediocrity. Just yeah. be better than you were last year. But if you're looking at this, thinking of a 3-14 and 14 season, anything beyond that is better than it was last year. Yeah. These players know it. They don't want to go through the tumultuous roller coaster that is a losing season where you've got 10 games in a row that you wind up on the wrong side of. And what Moore said, because he's been, he's was talk about like a roller coaster, like all over the place in Carolina, like individually, he had really good seasons. He was able to put together. I mean, it's the reason that he was such a valued asset in the trade for the number one overall pick, yeah. but 
you know, he hasn't really won since, since he got into the league in 2018. So I think it's a smart play instead of the idea of go worse to first, worse to better than you were last year by a considerable amount, which, you know, that the idea of 500 doesn't necessarily mean mediocrity, but you're getting closer to, okay, you hit 500 and then you can potentially contend for the division. And then you could potentially be a playoff team. And then you can be in the playoffs with, you know, all the other teams that made it and everybody starts off zero and zero. And then you can win games. Like, I think it was a smart way to, lay out their approach for this season without having to give any sort of lofty, I want to win seven wins. I want to win 10 wins. I think that we're a playoff team. Like I thought he was going about it in a very step-by-step approach, which was super like, I just really appreciate when players are realistic about, Hey, we probably still are a year away or two, but like, if we want to show improvement, this is how we got to get there. Yeah. It, it was to me, it it's, an understanding of where the team realistically is and how much work it's going to be for them to get to that next level. I think people think, right, I I know you can look at everything on paper and go, oh, of course we're better than them. But it doesn't always work that way. It's just you have to go out and actually play the games. And the main thing for me that I saw that Justin Fields talked about, that DJ Moore talked about, was that there was a we're going to get better and we're mm-hmm. going to build this continuity and we're going to be offensively better. Like there's no question about it in Justin Fields mind. And I think that confidence is what leads Bears fans to go 10 wins easily. Yeah. But I do love that. They're at least confident in the fact that this offense will be better this season. And that's, that's a starting point because yeah. how can it get worse? Like realistically, you don't that's make true. all of these moves that again, you expect like the offense to be, worse than like you know 128.5 yards per game or right around 130 like you don't you don't it can't possibly be worse than what it was last year and you hear the comments in how the offensive line the continuity word like that group being all five of them together throughout OTAs throughout minicamp and going into the season like the last time they had an offensive line that was that fortified at this point of the offseason I couldn't tell you how long ago that was. The fact that they have a receiver room, which we were hearing about during, you know, rookie minicamp, that you have receivers who are going to have carved out individualized roles. And of course you want guys to be able to play multiple positions, but you're not going to be trying to figure that out on the fly and be like, all right, well, I hope that this guy can, can excel in whatever in this role that we're giving him. I hope this person knows the playbook. I hope that the offense, you know, fits this person's skill set. You, you're alleviating some of those really difficult questions because year two with the same offensive coordinator, same quarterback, same, you know, same scheme, that stuff is something you can build upon. And so now they've had the time to do that. And when you can actually see that in action, I think that's what gives players hope that it's not going to be, you know, a repeat of last year by any stretch and that, hey, you can actually win games that maybe last year you would have had no chance to win because they're fielding a team with more talent than they had previously. And that's that's a good sign. Quick side note here. I want to get into the mind of Courtney Cronin on this real quick. What's it like when a player basically gives you nothing? Because Justin Fields, it seems like he is the king of like, yeah, I don't really know what you're asking me right there, but I'm going to give you this answer. He's very thoughtful in the way, like, I appreciate this about him. Like, so when, you know, he was asked a question about what is it like going into 
um, like into your second off season where you actually have continuity. And like the question, I mean, it's an obvious question in, in theory because or consistency was the word. Um, Cause you know, you think, okay, all the things I just laid out, you're in this offense for another year. You have the same offensive coordinator, like same everything. And he said, well, what are you consistency meaning what? And he asks you to explain it. I can appreciate that because he's not going to talk himself into something he doesn't believe. And when players ask for clarity, it's because they want to make sure they're saying the right thing and not hurting themselves, saying too much, saying too little. I mean, I think he's a very thoughtful um Sometimes you get up there and you're like, did we come away with anything new? I felt yeah. today just kind of hearing from him about the, you know, the, the obviously the Chase Claypool thing, something that he, you know, put out there. We had no idea. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the consistency element too. We've yeah. heard him say this is the most comfortable offseason I've had. Um, and, and I mean, we're only three years into this thing, not even with Justin Fields. I mean, definitely yeah. not three years as the full starter because of how his career ended up. Um, I think the, a lot of it's reading between the lines and it's talking to people and it's hearing from others about how they perceive the same sort of thing you're asking Justin Fields, where you might get, you know, a vanilla answer, something that's not like super in depth or like really answers the question all that much. But that doesn't mean that they don't feel what you're asking them, like that it's not tr- that the question was off base or anything like that. It's just, yeah. you know, at the start of training camp, you get the open-ended questions that are about like the big picture stuff. I know that we started with polls and Eberflus on like the, you know, raising expectations and, you know, is this team, you know, are the expectations as high as this team can go? And then polls saying, well, I don't want to put a ceiling on it. Like a lot of it's more open-ended. What do you want Justin Fields to improve upon this year? Like you don't get those actual answers until you see him and the rest of the team out in training camp. If you see the new personnel that they're using, if you see different packages, like then, then it's when you can start to figure out, Hey, what was this? Why did this work? Will it yeah. work? Um, why is the personnel that you have capable of carrying out a task that last year you wouldn't have been able to, that's when you can start to get like more in-depth answers that will actually provide something that, you can concretely say like, okay, this is going to work. This is not going to work. This is why this matters for this team. What did Justin Fields talk about when, when, or not talk about, but what, what did you take from Justin Fields talking about the trip down to Florida, what he was doing with the receivers, how he was getting that work in? You, you mentioned the continuity there, but it, it, what did you get from that when he was bringing that up? Well, the first thing I got when polls talked about it, just like how much he likes seeing that because you know, it's the off season guys don't have to commit their time to working with one another until they get back to training camp. So the fact that you volunteer your time to go work with your quarterback in Florida, like when DJ Moore and I asked him, I was like, you know, obviously we know he's fast. So I'm like wondering in my head, I'm like, do you train? Like, do you do anything? Is there any sort of speed training? He's like, no, like I just, you know, when he calls me, I'm coming. And he's referring to Justin Fields there. Like that's a, good sign when people want to go work out with your quarterback when they want to get better when they want this offense to improve knowing that they've got to put the onus on themselves to hey all right rhythm and timing we hear that all the time with this offense like i'm going to take that upon myself and start working on the parts of that that i'm responsible for it gives you a leg up and it gives you a chance to you know go into training camp not feeling like you're picking all the way back up from where we were june 15th when they broke for the summer so I in the amount of players that we saw 
whether it was, you know, early off season down in Florida. I know Khalil Herbert was down there with him. Um, You know, of course, DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, Mooney. Like, it's good to see guys wanting to work out and work out together because it's not just building like the chemistry that you're going to see on field. A lot of that is the off field stuff of just getting to organically know somebody and learn somebody that that stuff will inevitably bleed into what you do on the field in a good way. So I thought it was all like pretty standard because like usually, you know, I don't think I've heard of somebody, anybody here say a bad thing about Justin Fields, like not at least publicly. And that's, you know, it's not just lip service and like, oh, we're going because the quarterback asked us to. Like these guys want to get better too. They have to live up to their end because they know that the better they play, better Fields is going to play. And it's a, you know, it's a vice versa effect. So you'd be willing to give up your time. If there's something you really want, you're going to do probably whatever it takes to get there. And during the offseason, that you, knowing that you do have like a little bit of time for downtime, but then it's really about getting back to work. Why would you choose to work out individually when you can work out with a quarterback who you're planning to have a, you know, take a step, you know, in the right direction with and have a successful season, whatever that looks like together with. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's, I'm so excited to see what this offense is going to end up working out. I, I still have, I think like all of us, we still have a ton of questions on the defense. The one thing that we don't have to question though, that I, I, I mean, I have to give credit to Tremaine Edmonds. He walked in the room, basically said, like, the guys looked at him and was like, you know, you're the leader, right? And he was like, okay, I'm the leader. I knew that coming in. Like, all right, you're the leader. It, I mean, he talked about his leadership role here, and you could just see it when he was sitting up there how, you know, even, even Eddie Jackson kind of talked about what his leadership was coming in. What is Tremaine Edmonds bringing from a leadership role to the Chicago Bears defense? Well, he came from a team that, yes, they didn't go to the Super Bowl. Yes, it does feel like Buffalo's ceiling is the second round of the playoffs, at least like, you know, last year. But they had the best defense. They should have gone to the Super Bowl in 2021. Yeah. Everybody knows that. Um, they had the best defense in the NFL that year, and he was a part of that. And he's been a part of a team that, you know, went from – way on the outside looking in, but when he was drafted of the playoffs to now being a inexpected playoff team. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you're, when you're around a team that doesn't have that sort of experience and I know, you know, for Tremaine Edmonds, he was sitting up there with Eddie Jackson. You don't want to, he, and he's never done this. Like him and TJ Edwards have both been very respectful and humble about like, I'm walking into a team that already had something built here, but like, I'm going to try to like, do whatever I can, whatever they ask of me to help build the culture. It wasn't walking in being like, look, like I come from a winning team. Like it's going to be my way or the highway. If you don't do it my way, it's not right. Like he was giving, you know, a lot of props to Eddie Jackson. Eddie Jackson's going into year seven uh, with the Chicago bears Tremaine Edmonds going into year six. Like it's, you know, and what Eddie said too, it's like looking around the room, you realize in referring to Tremaine Edmonds, there's another dog in the room. So like you want people who have that same mindset and coupling with that with the fact that they've already won is incredibly important to then show some of the younger players, this is how you do it. This is how you take care of your body. This is how you study. This is how you watch film. I go back to last year when Eddie, when Eddie Jackson was really diving headfirst into that mentor role with Jaquan Brisker. He has a house that I think is you know up by Gurney where Eddie would invite Jaquan over. This is before they even started doing, you know, practicing together during training camp and they would do film sessions. He would show him like, you know, this life, 
these millions of dollars, the extension, this big house, this cool, you know, adult, you know, what do you call it? Like man cave sort of thing. Like this could all be yours if you do it, you know, Eddie, to play in the NFL. I mean, we know like most 40% of players don't make it to the second contract. Yeah. Um, or excuse me, 60% of players do not make it to their second contract. To be in the NFL anywhere beyond your rookie deal, to even be in the NFL beyond three years is very difficult. Eddie's now made it to year seven. Jaquan is, you know, in his second year and he's had a chance to, you know, have an up close look of how do you do it the right way. And so I think Eddie Jackson will be a big deal on that. Tremaine Edmonds will be a big deal on that, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Having players who have gone through it and have won, like that's what tips the edge of showing, okay, TJ Edwards was part of a defense that, was maybe the best in the NFL last year. Tremaine Edmonds was part of a very good defense, the best in the NFL two years ago. It's it's kind of like setting the bar and then that trickle-down effect that you hope to affect everyone who has not gotten there yet. That's what I believe what they're talking about, raising the bar, raising the standard, and raising expectations because you didn't bring these guys in here because they weren't very good players or because you expect to continue to lose games. You brought them in to help change what you're doing. And yeah. that's... You know, that's very much like what I think Tremaine Edmonds buys into that. You, know, you got to remember, he's, I believe, 26 years old. He's going yeah. into year six. He started playing football in the NFL very, very young, and he's played every single year. Like, he's got a perspective that a lot of players can learn from, and a lot of players can, can model what they want to become off of how he did it. That's how you begin internally to change the culture, not just having, you know, the most talented players, not just having the best scheme or the best coaching staff or the best play callers. It's those are like the little day-to-day tweaks that when we talk about culture, you can point to, they brought this guy in and the floor was raised immediately. I mean, you go back to like when Khalil Mack was here, go back to when Robert Quinn was, you know, setting franchise sack records in a single season. Like that raised the play of the guy around guys around them. Now it might not have yielded many wins, but it still changed the landscape in the locker room. Like that's important. And I think that TJ Edwards, Tremaine Edmonds are going to be kind of bearers of that torch. And even Demarcus Walker too. I mean, we haven't heard from him yet, but I remember when we did hear from him back in, you know, the spring, he was, you know, really appreciative that he got that role. I think he's part of the leadership council here too. And that's not something you typically see from young guys when they come in, you know? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I'm, this defense to me is so intriguing because I feel like we have the second guy, the guy who, if you look back at the previous defenses they were a part of, was the guy who was benefiting. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested to see like Demarcus Walker, Tremaine Edmonds, uh, TJ Edwards. I'm really interested to see how they take, okay, now you're the guy, you know, you're the reason that this defense is going to be going. And so it's mm-hmm. going to be really, in- I mean, you talk, we talked with Flus today as well. What is their what is their game plan on adjustments that need to be made to try and make this defense a little bit more cohesive? Because while the defense looked bad at times, it also looked like play calling yeah. at times was a real struggle for Allen Williams. In his opening statement today, he referenced, you know, and they're kind of going over like here's what the offseason was like, what we did. He said 
you know, part of that was a development of the schemes and that in the spring they were in the process of developing schemes to push the envelope um, and get better because offenses are getting better. They're getting faster. Quarterbacks are getting better. And that's a critical part of fixing areas of your team that were not good last year. And some of it's personnel. Some of it, you are kind of hamstrung to what you're able to do defensively, what you're able to call based on the type of players that you have. You'd think, again, kind of like the offense and getting better and all the things that you expect to change, you'd like to believe that when you have – a middle linebacker, any weak side linebacker that they believe are an upgrade from what they had last year, that you'll be able to do more, that you'll be able to call things that you might have had, you know, on the back burner because you your players weren't capable of doing it. But that's not to say that your defense and the schemes need to change. Like there are, of co- like I tried to, he's, he was very vague about it. I asked him about like, well, where do you start with that? What did you first look at? And, you know, for me, the obvious answer is the pass rush. And a couple players I've talked to, one player I talked to recently, an NFC North player, kind of gave it to me very candid that, like, on every rush, we knew what they were going to do. They made it easy. And that's not the first player, not the first offensive lineman I had heard that from. But to hear that, as candidly as it was put, is the reason that that's got to change, that that has to – it has to be a priority of what they're doing schematically where it's not just, okay, they've got new players, everything you could stay kind of status quo in the way that you call games. No, like they've got to make adjustments. Alan Williams and Matt Eberflus, however that brain trust is going to work about the tweaks that they're going to make. They've got to make those adjustments because you cannot have the same, the same rush plan that you had last year. And that's just one element. Of course, we know they were the 31st run defense. There were a lot of um, issues there, but that it's not all personnel shows you that these coaches know what they had last year won't cut it this year, even with improved personnel. We added a couple of players. I mean, it, I feel like it was a small footnote yesterday, but do you have any nuggets for for the people at home on Isaiah Ford or Buddy Johnson? I, the Buddy, the Buddy Johnson one's interesting because Sterling Weatherford was a special teamer here. Yeah. Like that's that one. That's the only one that I saw in like the four. Uh, roster moves that were made today that yeah. kind of made me go, hmm. But because like, remember, Weatherford was a player that they claimed last year. He was in Indianapolis. He, you know, he was with the Colts. There's that connection there. Yeah. Um, I was maybe a little surprised to see that one, but it could also be Sanborn coming back and being good to go and that they feel like the depth that they have, of course, someone like Noah Sewell coming in this spring and making a nice impression when Jack Sanborn was out. Um, and then the the wide receiver that they ended up bringing in. Um, I think it's another camp body because, yeah. and that's the thing that you kind of got from fields today where it feel the wide receiver group that they have, at least your top three with uh, DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, Darnell Mooney, that kind of feels set. And then like I put my 53 projection out yesterday at ESPN.com and I had six on the roster. And, you know, when you're looking at, Tyler Scott, the rookie that's going to be like, he'll make the rosters. No way that they're going to like part with a fourth rounder. uh, Even if he had a rough camp, I think it would really take a lot. And then of course, Equinemius St. Brown, he is relied upon in this offense for his blocking. He will make this roster. And then it's like, all right, well, you're looking at the final spot, Dante Pettis, Verdell, or, you know, Verdell Jones. Jones. I was going to say Verdell Jones, the player I covered at Indiana was a long time ago. We're already, we're already, you know, I need to get my mind right for training camp. (laughs) But no, with, with, with Vaitless Jones, I mean, 
they have to give him every single chance to make this roster because if you end up cutting a third round pick after yeah. this year, you have to be justified in doing that. But think about where they were last year where it's like, I don't know, like, is this guy going to make the roster? I mean, no. they've got They've got to fill out spots this year, having more camp bodies, having players who are, you know, here to, you know, either like help the competition along, like not necessarily anybody that you, none of those names that were thrown out today are players that I expect to be on the active roster, maybe a practice squad spot, but it's, it's, it's encouraging to see when it comes to the position battles and the competition that it is markedly improved from where it was last year. Is this basically, I mean, the, the, the buddy signing to me, buddy Johnson signing to me is the most interesting one because I've talked about the linebacker depth a ton. I've talked about the depth that this team is coming in with. Is he a camp body? Because to me, I start going through the linebackers and I'm like, all right, for sure. Tremaine Edmonds, TJ Edwards, Jackson, Sewell, Dylan is Sewell and he's a rookie. Yeah. Dylan. I mean, that linebacker depth for like f- the fourth and the fifth spot. Like I had Weatherford on my 53 that went yeah. out. Um, Monday. So this is before they made the move. I had Dylan Cole, the kid from Houston. Um, I think he was with Tennessee last year, but he you know started his career with the Texans, like core special teamer. You've yeah. got to think about the fifth linebacker spot or six, however many they keep the yeah. fifth or six cornerback. Like those guys are going to be playing some special teams For because sure. that's how you justify them being on the roster. So maybe, maybe he ends up falling into that category and that that's something to keep an eye on when you see some of these signings immediately go to where the guy was last if he's a veteran and figure out if he played last year where was he playing because you're probably not getting a high-end I mean there's not many high-end guys that are just on the street or that you're able to sign for you know next to nothing but they could be special teamers and of course that's what they're going to be looking at trying to build on that for this season because you're, you're probably losing, you know, quite a bit of depth. Um, you know, I'm going to look this up because the, the stat counts for, or excuse me, the snap counts last year, like, you know, DHC, we, you and I have talked about that him leaving, um, you know, is is a big one. And then of course, you know, Joe Thomas is not on this roster. He played the second most special team snaps last year. Josh Blackwell um, is, you know, he's not a lock to make this roster. And Sterling Weatherford. So right now, if you're looking at guys that you expect to be on the roster based on like the top four, top four or five uh, special team snaps, Kari Blazingame is is the is the fifth. Like because uh, DHC, Thomas, Blackwell, and Weatherford. Um, you know, some of those players aren't on the roster. Some of them like probably won't make the roster. So it'll be interesting to see how they're able to compensate for losing that depth. And of course you can turn to the rookie class. That's typically where they get a lot of that from, but losing a lot of guys who are on the defensive side of the ball who did that as well. So. And what I always tell people is the special team depth only matters when you suck because then it's very important because we've seen those teams where, right? Like I'm, what was it? The Packers two years ago, I want to say it was, where it was like, man, if you kick the ball off, you know, (laughs) you're getting it at the 40 because they're not going to stop you before that. We saw teams literally just saying, I'm taking it out just because Mm -hmm. it's going to be so easy to get there. So it, it'll, it'll put you behind on, on the defensive end. If you don't have that special teams depth there. So I know it seems like, right, oh, you're losing a special team and you can just plug a guy in. This ain't Madden. You got to hit those guys. You got to go out there and make those tackles. And we had guys that could do that. 
they're not the same names coming back next this season. It's going to be interesting to see kind of how they're going to replace some of those guys. So mm-hmm. I think uh, we've covered this pretty well. Is there any other nuggets that you took away from the press conferences that we heard today that uh, you feel like the podcast audience might have not caught? Well, we know the first padded practice for anybody who's planning to come out next week is Wednesday. So they'll start tomorrow. They go Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they break Sunday or they have a day off on Sunday. So like if you're coming out to training camp, believe practices start, all practices start at 10 AM. So that's one to, you know, kind of keep an eye on, uh, you know, depending upon like, you know, getting up here and all of that. I thought the other thing though, that was probably like my last nugget of the day was what Ryan Pohl said about Darnell Wright. So I remember when Wright got here, like, you know, Poles' thing when he first took over uh, last year at, you know, the, the uh, combine, he said they wanted to get leaner up front. And so I figured that that kind of meant, you know, leaner and more athletic up front. Darnell Wright was, you know, clocked in at 335 pounds. And I just remember asking him the day after he was drafted, like, you know, do you plan to, is that something that you like are, expect to do? Um, like expect the coaches to tell you like to get in a weight training program. Like what do they want you to come back at? I think he said somewhere around like 10 pounds, something. I don't know if there was an exact number. I just remember he said he was going to drop some body fat and yeah. what Paul said that he crushed his fit. He crushed his conditioning test. He didn't even break a sweat. Um, and that he's already lost body fat and weight. That's impressive for a rookie because we know for the rookie curve for offensive linemen, it's tough. Not only are you like trying to make sure that your body can handle the, you know, fierce force of the edge rushers that are coming at you, but, you know, learning a new playbook, making sure you have like, you can do your job and you're not there on, you know, kind of out there on an Island, the communication, like he's had a lot thrown at him. Yes. He's a 10th overall pick. And that's a very, um, like you expect players who are drafted that high to be able to rise to that level. But it's not to say it's easy. So I thought that like polls pointing that out there about Darnell, Wright, You know, kind of at least right now checks the box of this is the player that we thought he was going to be. This yeah. is why we invested in that long, um, you know, the long weekend, the Easter weekend uh, workout they did down at Tennessee that he's proving them right so far, especially by showing up to training camp with like, you know, in a way, a different body than when he left because of, you know, how, and and we haven't seen him yet. So I'll be really curious to see what he looks like tomorrow, but that was kind of an eye-opening statement polls offering that one up for us. It's going to be so, I mean, this is going to be such a fun time of year for all bears fans. I mean, listen, it's fun for me. We're not even there yet. Uh, I need, I need pro tips. I need vet tips. You've been, you've been covering uh, plenty of training camps. This is my eighth year. Isn't it crazy? I, I was thinking about it on my way out this morning. I've been, this is my eighth training camp because I started uh, covering the NFL in 2016 and every training camp's different, but like the energy around like the first couple days always is the same, whether you're coming off of a three and 14 season, like the bears or whether you're coming off a team like, you know, the Vikings when they went to the NFC championship and even, you know, even the 49ers, when I covered them, they went two and 14, like that training camp previous year when they fired Jim Tom Sula and then they hire Chip Kelly, it still had, it still had the energy of like, you know, they, they had quarterback uncertainty because this was before cap and the protests and all of that. Like he had shoulder surgery in the off season and he yeah. thought he was going to end up getting signed in Denver. Like there was still that energy around the team as they enter 
you know, what become the dog days of summer, but there's always excitement. So I really, I, I enjoy that part. It definitely rubs off on all of us too, because it is a grind and you've got six weeks now, if you're trying to make a roster to prove your worth, yeah. I, I empathize with guys just about like kind of the magnitude of what this moment is over the next, you know, month and a half. I'm coming as a, in as a rookie on this, officially covering, you know, I always mm-hmm. get the tickets and get in, but officially covering training camp, Give me some of the do's and don'ts of uh, of being a, a real media member at training camp. So abide by whatever. So like with the um, the policy on shooting video is one to make sure that you read up on. So when they don't want you like they want like if you're if you if it's an open training camp practice, which means fans are allowed in, you can tweet during the whole thing. You can take video, but fans don't get in trouble for posting whatever like media members they will they will say something if you end up like if if it's not a tight enough shot they don't want to show formations they don't want definitely don't want to show trick plays i'm not saying i'm not saying you know one way or the other like you know do your job oh, i got to know the playbook i got it's, <laughs> it's i mean it's it's actually like i mean this is the only time you get access to being able to see full practices for like yeah. the two ish weeks that training camp exists and then it goes into preseason fans go away we go back to like normal preseason rule or off season regular season rules too where yeah. you can't um put anything out there until practice ends and you know i think the best rule of thumb is when it's an open practice most things are open as far as video and being able to tweet throughout like and that's probably the biggest piece of advice i can give yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to have some fun out there. If you guys are out there and you see us, say hi. You don't don't be weird about it. Just say hi, you know, wave, shake hands, all that stuff. People get weird out here, Courtney. You got to be careful. Uh, it's fun. It's a fun time to get to interact with fans cuz like, you know, they I started I, I was walking in today um from Abbott cuz that's where we parked during camp and you can tell like they're really putting a lot into this. They always do every year and they expect a lot of people out here, so it's cool. I mean, it's definitely a time of year that kind of makes you think, all right, getting right back into the swing of things. And next thing you know, it'll be February. And are we'll you doing are it all you, over again? Are you prepared for this? Because you thought you were getting a break and then they yeah, were like, hell no. first take every day. You know, we're just we're, we're we're doing the best we can. We're surviving every single day. And, you know, it's it's fun, though. You feel lucky that you get to like be up here and covering this stuff every single day. And I'm excited for my second camp. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun this year. And uh, listen, you'll get all the coverage here on the Chicago Bears podcast. We'll be potting from training camp. So make sure that you're tuned in on those episodes as well. And we're going to have a great time. We're going to be breaking this down. We're going to keep you guys up to date on everything you need to know Chicago Bears. As always, hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. You can follow us everywhere at ESPN Chicago. Follow Courtney at Courtney Cronin and me at at the designer. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Chicago Bears podcast. Peace. Thank you.